Thanks for praying for the Criswell College. This has been a very hectic week. Um, crazy week, really, for those associated with the school. Many of you are associated with the school because you're supporters of the school or employees of the school or trustees of the school. So it's affected our class quite a bit. So be praying for us. Um, we will probably know who the uh, president of the interim president of the school is on the 16th or so of this month. So that'll be another week or two. So that probably will be announced. Uh, also, uh, we want to somehow get your opinion on what you thought about the ninth floor. We're not going to do that today, but just be thinking about it. You know, is that a place where you would like to go? Uh, where you would reluctantly go, where you would quit the class if we had to go there. You know, what's the situation? Just think about that because the President's Council is going to be meeting right after the class today. And if you haven't been told that and you're on the President's Council, it's going to be right over here. Uh, we're going to be meeting talking about that, okay? Uh, and then we will work out a way where you can express your opinion. We have many other options as well. Uh, I want to thank those of you who helped last week to get the ninth floor ready. Uh, I went and saw the ninth floor about two weeks prior to our meeting, and uh, it really looked different. <laughs> I said, how in the world are we going to use this room? But I'll tell you, when we got there last week, you guys fixed it up uh, great, looked good, and the food was great. So thanks to everybody who helped, from those who led people up to the ninth floor to those who were breeders and those who worked the room. Just thank you anyway. Okay, let's take our Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 11. <clears throat> Luke chapter 11. We are moving through the book of Luke right now at a uh, snail's pace, unfortunately. But these passages that we're dealing with need to be dealt with adequately. And these are just passages that you can't uh, you know, do 20 and 30 verses at a time. We're going to get to that point again, but right now we're having to look at some passages in detail. Now, remember last week, Jesus cast a demon out of a person who was made deaf by the uh, demon possession. And when he exercised the demon, there were three reactions. Uh, the great majority of the people marveled. They said, wow, this is, we've never seen anything like this. It was uh, a positive response. Uh, Jesus then reacted to their marveling. And he said, enthusiasm is good. Yeah, it's great to be excited, but obedience is better. Okay? Then there was a second reaction, and that was a reaction of a smaller group of people, and they accused Jesus of casting the demon out by the power of Satan, or the power of Beelzebub. And so Jesus responds to them, and he says, that reaction is illogical. If Satan were casting Satan out, his kingdom would be divided and it would fall. Obviously, I'm not an agent of Satan. And not only is that reaction illogical, it's inconsistent, because you have your own exorcist, Jewish exorcist, and they're casting demons out every day. If you're saying, I'm doing it by the devil, then you better say, they're doing it by the devil. If they're doing it by God, then you better say, I'm doing it by God. Your argument is inconsistent. But there was a third reaction, and that was a reaction from a group of people who wanted to test Jesus. And they said, well, if you're really from God, if your power and authority is from God, give us a sign. Prove 
that you are from God. A sign that's so spectacular that there'll be no doubt in their minds. So Jesus responds to that group. And that's where we're picking up today in verse 29. It says, And while the crowd crowds were thickly gathered, and evidently this exorcism and the controversy surrounding it has really drawn the crowd together, and they're growing uh, much larger. He began to say to them, this is an evil generation. But why is it an evil generation? It seeks a sign. Now notice how Jesus connects their request for a sign with evil. Do you see that? To seek a sign is an indication that you're doing something evil. That is a tactic of the devil. To test Jesus and say, prove it to me. That's what the devil does. That's evil. Remember when Jesus says he was went to the wilderness to be tested by Satan? See, there's that old test. And he said, well, if you're the son of God, let's see you just jump off the temple here. And God will send these angels down. It'll be spectacular. See? So prove it. So that's Jesus says it's evil. He connects that with with Satan. Now it's interesting, they try to connect Jesus, the other group try to connect Jesus' miracle with Satan. Jesus connects this group with Satan and their reaction. Uh, what this group that is evil needs is not a sign. What they need is what Gil Strickland said this morning. They need to repent. But instead of repenting, what they want to do is test Jesus and they want to ask him for a sign. Now what we can discover from this is that faith and proof are opposites. You hear that? Faith and proof are opposites. If you have to be convinced, always convinced, somebody has to prove something to you about Christ and about Christianity. Well, did he, was he really raised? I know the Bible says he was raised from the dead, but can you prove it to me? And there may be some of you in the class that actually have that mindset. See? Then you're not operating by faith, because faith and proof are opposites. Either you accept God's revelation, or you demand a sign. So that's what Jesus says. This generation is evil. It demands a sign. And, look what he says. No sign will be given to it. He refuses to give them a sign. Except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now, if you would go to Matthew's gospel, when Matthew's telling the story, he uh, adds something. He said... Jesus said, no sign shall be given to you except the sign of Joseph, Jonah the prophet. As Jonah was in the belly, remember that one? Of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be. And Matthew is emphasizing that statement of Jesus that the sign that you will get, only sign you'll get, is the resurrection. But Luke doesn't even mention him saying that. Uh, Luke is going to take it from a different angle. <clears throat> And what he says is the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now, what is the sign of Jonah? What is the sign of Jonah? Luke is going to put his emphasis on not Jonah's resurrection from the whale's belly, but he's going to put his emphasis on Jonah's ministry of preaching. Okay? Now, watch this. Look in verse 30. Four, as Jonah became a sign. Look at that. Jonah himself is the sign. Not, not that he came out of the fish belly. That, that act isn't the sign. 
Luke is going to say there were two ways Jesus was using this. Look, Jonah himself is the sign. You see that? For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, they didn't know he came out of the fish's belly. Look, as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be, meaning will be a sign to this generation. So notice, Jesus is the sign just to this generation as Jonah was a sign to his generation. Now what in the world does that mean? That Jonah is a sign and Jesus is a sign. Now let me remind you of a passage that we covered a long time ago. Look back at Luke chapter 2. Very interesting when you see how you see the book in its context and you read passages in the context. Luke chapter 2. And look at verse 34. This is when Jesus is a baby. He's brought into the temple. Remember that? And Simeon blesses and prophesies over him. Remember that when Joseph and Mary bring Jesus into the temple? Now look what Simeon said in Luke chapter 2 verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child, that's Jesus, is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And look what else he is. And for a what? sign that will be spoken against. Jesus is a sign. Notice that, it will, that he, Jesus, will be spoken against. Has Jesus been spoken against in Luke chapter 11? Ah! He does it from the devil's authority. Ah! Prove! So he's spoken against. And as a sign, he will cause some to rise up, and they'll put their faith in him, and others will stumble over him. Some will believe in him, and some will stumble over him. So, as a sign, Jesus, remember I talked about this a long time ago, a sign points to something. Well, it doesn't. As a sign, Jesus doesn't point to himself. Jesus is a sign that points to us. Jesus, uh, as a sign, reveals a lot about us. When you look at Jesus, what does that sign, or Dr. Criswell used to say, what does that signify? When Jesus looks at us, what does that signify or signify about us? Does it reveal that we're people of faith and that we are going to follow Jesus, or do we stumble over Jesus? Now, just as Jonah, because Jonah is a sign too, just as Jonah marched into Nineveh for 40 days, remember that? This strange prophet who marches into Nineveh, and he preached, judgment's going to come, judgment's going to come. And what did the people do? Repent. And guess what? Jonah coming through Nineveh revealed something about those people. He was assigned to the Ninevites. He told them about themselves, he told them about God, that if they repented, God would forgive them and delay the punishment. And sure enough, they did. Now Jesus comes on the scene, and he's a sign that reveals something about us and about that generation. He reveals what kind of a person you are. Are you a repentant person, like Bill Strickland said this morning? Or are you a person whose heart has been hardened? Are you one who will rise, 
Are you one who will fall over Jesus? Will he be for you a stepping stone that lifts you up, or will he be a stone upon which you stumble? See, that's what this passage is talking about. So go back to Luke chapter 11. And so what happens is that when Jonah, Jonah's assigned to the Ninevites. To the Ninevites. A sign of what? That God's gracious, that God's forgiving. That if they repent, and they do from the king on down, they'll be forgiven. So shall the Son of Man, verse 30, be assigned to this generation. So what does Christ reveal about us? Now, they want a sign. He says none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Now he's going to give us three illustrations. Look at illustration number one. Verse 31. The queen of the south. That's the queen of Sheba. Back in the book of uh, Kings and Chronicles. Illustration number one. The queen of the south, or the queen of Sheba, will what? Rise up. Did we see that phrase rise up a few moments ago? In Luke chapter 2. He will either raise you up, or guess what you'll do? You'll fall. Well, here's an example of one that was raised up. The queen of Sheba, or the south, will raise up in judgment with the men of this generation, that's the evil generation, and condemn them. So here we have the queen of Sheba raising up. Now, let me ask you this. This is the story of the queen of Sheba who came to King Solomon. You know where she came from? I said Sheba. I mean, obviously, you should know that. She came from Sheba. <laughs> now watch this. Here's a queen. He's going to use an illustration to prove his point. This woman traveled 2,000 miles to get to Solomon. <laughs> How far have these people traveled to get to Jesus? Absolutely nowhere he came to them. They didn't have to make any effort. Not at all. She traveled far. Jesus takes the initiative. She took the initiative. Notice all this. Now, why did she come to Solomon? Because there were rumors about Solomon. Solomon is God's man. Solomon speaks. Solomon speaks wisdom. Now, she could have said, I don't believe it. He's going to have to prove it. But she didn't say that. He'll have to give me a sign to prove that he's God's man. No, she hears that he is God's man who speaks wisdom, and she wants to go see. She wants to go meet this man. And when she does, she realizes this is God's man. Indeed, he is a prophet. What he speaks is a revelation from God. And she gave him her allegiance, and she poured out gifts to him and all these things. Now notice, in that verse, verse 31, two things. Number one, she's going to rise up. When will she rise up? At the judgment. That means that one day at judgment time, when there is a resurrection, and those that are righteous will go into the kingdom of God, and those that are not will go into hell, she will be in the resurrection, and she will be in the kingdom of God. Number one. But look what happens when she rises up on that judgment day. It says... She will condemn this generation. 
she will be vindicated because she believed. They will be condemned. Now, the Queen of Sheba didn't have a Bible, did she? The Queen of Sheba didn't have prophets in her land talking about God, did she? All she heard had was a rumor that there was a man of God, and she said, I need to go see this. And you know what? Because she had faith, she will be vindicated, and this generation that seeks a sign, and everybody else who seeks a sign, said, you have to prove to me that Jesus is the Savior, and doesn't accept God's revelation, they will be condemned. So that's illustration number one. Very interesting. Now look at the end of verse 31. Jesus says, and indeed, a greater than Solomon. Ah, notice the advantage that you've got. All she got to see was Solomon, and she accepted him as God's man. A greater than Solomon is here, and guess what you're doing? Testing and asking for a sign. That's why you'll be condemned, and that's why she'll be vindicated on judgment. Does that make sense to you? Okay, now let's keep on moving. Look at illustration number two, verse 32. And the men of Nineveh, he's mentioned Nineveh a few verses back. The men of Nineveh will rise up. In the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Same day, same result. On resurrection day, guess what? Those people who heard Jonah preach, they'll be vindicated. These people who've heard Jesus preach, they'll be condemned. And anybody else who's heard the gospel preach and said, you better prove it to me, they'll be condemned. Does that make sense to you? Pretty simple right there. Why? Because they accepted the message of Jonah on faith. They didn't say we need a sign. He just came and said repent. And guess what they did? Repented. God's word took hold. And they just by faith did what God required of them. Never asked for a sign. Now look at the end of verse. At middle verse 32. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now look at the end of verse 32. Jesus says, And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. These people accept Jonah's message at face value. And now, Jesus preaches, and they don't accept it at face value. They don't accept his ministry at face value. They want a son. A greater than Jonah is here. So, what we have is that these people are not honest brokers. When it came to test Jesus and they said, give us a sign, they, in their hearts, they didn't mean, and if it's a real sign, we'll believe you. In other words, if, if Jesus said, okay, I'll, I'll, let me just raise, uh, let me, uh, let me, can, let me uh, maybe uh, curse this tree and bring it back to life in, within five minutes. Cursed? Oh, it's dead. Now watch this, guys. You want the sign? Watch this. Hold on! And out of season, it bears fruit. <laughs> Do you think they would have believed? No. Because they weren't out to test Jesus in the sense of discovering as honest brokers whether he was a prophet or not. They simply wanted to condemn Jesus. And so what is Jesus? To them, Jesus is a sign. And guess what he does? He reveals the condition of their soul. Just as Jonah revealed the condition of the soul of the Ninevites, hey, they were open. So Jesus reveals how we are. 
and our disposition. Does that make sense? Okay, now let's look at the next illustration. Illustration number three. Illustration number three. Verse 33. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place. Now, those days they had oil lamps, but today we have regular lamps with bulbs. Okay? So, the other day I lit a lamp and I decided, well, I think I'll just stick this in the closet and let it burn for a while. That would be a pretty nice place for it, wouldn't it? In fact, I think I'll light all my lamps today and stick them in every closet in the house and close the door. No, you wouldn't do that. You don't light a lamp and then put it in the closet. doesn't make sense. So that's what Jesus is saying. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a bushel, but on a lampstand, one, so that those who come in may see the light. So, a light is meant to be seen. See, that's what he's saying. If you wanted to still it right down to one sentence, what that verse means is a light is meant to be seen. And a sign is meant to be read. A sign is meant to be read. Because a light and a sign both reveal something. Saw a sign today. So I was coming in. It said First Baptist Church at Arrow. It revealed something. It told me where First Baptist was. That's what a sign was. And a sign and a light reveal something. So Jesus here is talking about a, a light. And now he's going to make an application. Look at verse 34. The lamp, or the light of the body, is the eye. The lamp, or the light of the body, is is the eye. Now, in the 21st century, we read it like Americans, which normally would be something like this. Uh, if your eye is good, you can see. Your eye, with your body, sees through your eyes. And uh, here I see, I want, I can see here's something I want to get a hold of. I see here's where I want to walk. Well, how do I know that? Because there's light shining. If this room was dark, I wouldn't know what I wanted to grab or what I wanted to eat or where I wanted to go. Because my eyes serve as like a light or a lamp for my body and directs my body. That's how we would read this. And this is the problem is when you read the Bible without, without understanding uh, how people in the first century would have read this. This was a proverb. This is a proverb. Uh, the lamp or the light of the body is the eyes. Uh, we would say it today like this. We still have the proverb. We say the eyes are the what of the soul. Oh, your eyes are the window of the soul. That's how they interpreted that first. The lamp, the eye is the lamp. Now watch this. We say today the eyes are the window of the soul or the light of the soul. So, you can look into a person's eyes and when you look into a person's eyes, guess what? You can tell something about them by looking into their eyes. You can read them by looking into their eyes. So when 
the Greeks and the Romans talked about the eyes being light. They weren't talking about you looking out. Guess what they were talking about? People looking in and revealing what you are. Now, we do that, don't we? Because eyes are not what you, only what you see out of, it's what people see in you. So we uh, have a person who has shifty eyes. Mm, I look at him, he's got shifty eyes. And what does that tell me about him? Shifty eyes. Oh, man, that tells me about him. I'm no crook. I'm no crook. Well, we knew he was a crook. We saw those eyes always shifting back and forth. We may have liked his politics, but we knew he was a crook. Okay. Or you look at a person's eyes and they have this blank stare. And you know, there's a person dumb as spit. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're, or they're just that, if you're a lecturer like I am in a classroom and there's that line, that sort of blank look, you know they're just not getting it. You know? And it, oftentimes it's my fault that they're not getting it. But the fact of the matter is I look in their eyes and guess what? I can read them by looking into their eyes. See, that's how the Greeks and the Romans looked at eyes. You see? Or you have these hateful eyes. Somebody says, man, if looks could kill. <laughs> because they don't have to say anything. All you have to do is look in their eyes. And when you look in their eyes, you can read that person. So this is how the Romans did it. Or somebody rolls their eyes. <laughs> you know, we can go on with this. You know? Or you have these people that have these sad eyes, these cow eyes. And you, you can look at them, you know, their life has been just, I mean, one, you know, they've been beaten down and, you feel sorry for these people, just their, their, countenance, their countenance and their eyes. See? So the Romans, when they're talking about eyes, they're not talking about looking out. They're talking about your eyes are a light into your inner condition. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. Now look what he says in verse 34. Therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. So here you see a person with bright eyes, and you say, man, things are going on pretty good in their life. You can just sort of see it. Okay. But he says this. But, in the middle of verse 34, when your eye is bad, then your body is full of darkness. Now, I want you to circle the word bad there. Maybe your Bible says unhealthy. It's using sort of health terms here. But whatever word it is, it's the same Greek word as the word evil up in verse 29. This evil generation. So what he's saying is that if your eyes are evil, then it reveals your inner disposition. That you're a person of darkness. You're not an honest broker. <laughs> You're not testing me to find out whether I'm really from God or not. You are, you are an agent of Satan. You are in darkness. And guess what? I can read you like a book. Say, this is what, what's going on. You don't have the right disposition. If your eyes are bright, Jesus could look into a person. You can too. You can tell what kind of disposition they have. But if your eyes are evil, and that's what this generation is, an evil generation, then your body is full of Darkness. It reveals who you really are. So, uh, when they ask for a sign, just by asking for a sign, like eyes, they reveal to Jesus 
their disposition, that they aren't honest brokers, they're not really looking for the truth. In reality, they have Satan's agenda at heart. Does that make sense to you? It reveals an inner darkness. Now, an inner darkness simply means, you know, there's two kinds of darkness in the Bible. There's, uh, when it comes to knowledge, and there's ignorance. Hey, man, I'm in the dark. We all say that, I'm in the dark. Yeah. Uh, so darkness often deals with knowledge. And there's a knowledge which are, or there's an ignorance of, I'm in, yeah, man, I'm in the dark. I have no idea where we're, where we're going to go to the ninth floor, this floor, fourth floor. You know, ignorance. But there is a darkness that's defiant, that stands against the truth. I don't want to know the truth. See, the first one, you want to know the truth, but you don't. You're just ignorant. But this is one that says, I don't want to know the truth. All they're trying to do is test Jesus. And this is the kind of darkness that they're in. So what Jesus does is he issues a warning. He says this, Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. In other words, Ah, oh, you're claiming that you want to know the truth. That's how you're appearing in public. Oh, give us, tell us, we, we want to know whether you're the truth. I can just give us one more sign. You are claiming to be in the light, but in the reality, by asking for a sign, it gives away your true intent, that you are in the dark. You're not an honest broker. You have sided with Satan. So you need to evaluate your life. And all of us need to constantly be evaluating our lives, whether we're honest brokers and seeking the truth. Now, verse 36. <clears throat> if your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, then the whole body is full of light. As when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. This is another way of simply saying... Uh, just the opposite of what he said in another verse. And if you are an honest broker, guess what? You'll be transparent and it will be, it will be apparent to everybody that you're an honest broker. So you always need to be asking yourself, what are your motives for doing things? And do you really seek the truth? So this passage right here is all about inner disposition. All about motives. All about uh, your intents. Do you really want to know the truth? If you really want to know the truth, I'll tell you what. This is what Jesus said. If you really want to know the truth, God will reveal it to you without a sign. You will accept, he will, his revelation, his light will break right in and you won't need a sign. If you want to know the truth, and if your heart is full of darkness, no amount of signs will convince you of it. So he's talking about honest brokers and dishonest brokers, people who are transparent and people who are not transparent. Now let me give you a couple reminders or lessons from this passage right here, okay? Number one, to seek a sign is to reject God's revelation. To seek a sign is to reject God, is to reject God's revelation. Because what you're doing is you are saying, prove it to me. And God's not going to prove anything to you like that. That's why uh, signs do not produce faith. People say, I just need a sign, and then I'll believe. No, you don't. 
Lord, have you heard people say this? Lord, if you'll only get me out of this situation, then I will. Lord, if you'll give me a sign, if you'll do this, then I will. Usually they don't do that. See, signs don't produce faith. Signs are a rejection of God's revelation. They are the opposite of faith. Okay? Next, a sign can be misinterpreted. Okay? A sign can be misinterpreted. Last week, when Jesus cast a demon out, the group accused him and said, Hey, this was done by the devil. They misinterpreted it. So even if he gave another sign, guess what? It could be misinterpreted. See, signs are not understood by lost people. Okay? One of the things that we see in this passage, and it's very important, is that the concept of being greater. You know, you saw in this passage that Jesus is greater than Jonah. A greater than Jonah is here. Okay? A greater than Solomon is here. And last week, do you remember what he was greater than? Ah, he does it by the devil. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. And he told the story of a house. And he told the story about Satan, who was a strong man. But he said, if one who comes in is what? Stronger than Satan. He'll cast him right out. Jesus isn't only greater than Solomon. He's not only greater than Jonah. He's greater than Satan himself. It's because he's God. So here we see the greatness of Jesus Christ, and we should accept him at his word. Uh, one other thing I think is important, at least to mention at this juncture, is that there are going to be many people in the kingdom of God that you don't expect to be there. The Queen of Sheba will be there. <clears throat> she wasn't Jewish, by the way. She was a person of faith. She put her faith in the God of Israel, but she was not a converted Jew as far as I know. Uh, she's going to be there. Uh, the Ninevite, the, by the way, a woman from Yemen is going to be there. The Queen of Sheba. In other words, Arabs are going to be there. I didn't say Muslims, I said Arabs, and there's a difference. Arabs are going to be in the kingdom. And Ninevites are going to be in the kingdom. That's Iraqis. That's Iranians are going to be in the kingdom. I didn't say Muslims, I said Iraqis and Iranians. These were people in the Old Testament who put their faith in the one true and living God. And guess who's not going to be in the kingdom? In this case, God's own chosen people. Why? Because they lacked faith. Because they wanted proof. They didn't accept God's revelation at face value. And so I believe that uh, this passage tells us that uh, there'll be a lot of religious people who aren't going to make it into the kingdom. A lot of church people who won't make it into the kingdom because they have a mindset of these people and when you look into their eyes it reveals the true nature of their soul. They're skeptics. They're hard-hearted. They've rejected Christ. There'll be a lot of people that aren't in our church They'll be in the kingdom. A lot of religious people will not make it in the kingdom. A lot of non-religious people, but people of faith, will make it into the kingdom. It's uh, you know an amazing thing. Jesus turns everything around, upside down. And by the time you study the life of Christ and the gospel that He preaches, you discover that uh, Jesus 
He's not reaching out to us alone. He's reaching out to everybody. Amen. So next week, we'll pick up with verse 37, where now Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees and the lawyers. And he has a confrontation with them, and we'll go down to the end of the chapter. Father, we thank you that on the judgment, we will be raised and we will be vindicated because we've taken Christ at his word. And those that will be condemned will be the doubters and the skeptics and the hard-hearted and those that stand against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, help us to love people the way Jesus loved people. Help us to draw a circle that's much wider than ourselves. Help us to bring people in. Help us to love people. Help us to have the spirit and the attitude and the demeanor of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we do that, people will be attracted to the gospel. They'll see the love of Christ in us, and they will come to our Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Amen.